Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen here with Life Coach Cindy Chavez. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And uh, we were chatting about uh, all kinds of stuff going on, uh, current events and uh, going on in personal lives and so forth. And as we we conclude all that, uh, I shared a story with you, Cindy. And and as I finished the story, I thought to myself, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on in the world. But then we have these opportunities to do this show. And I connect with you and my other co-hosts. And it's like the whole world goes away. For like, you know, an hour, it's all gone. And that's what started just yeah. a few minutes ago. That That's what I was feeling. Like there's this, it's almost like we, we cross a threshold and, oh, we just did your daily dose of happy. What a nice thing. <laughs> right? It's kind of so like. That's what um, I was feeling. It's like meditation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It I kind mean of that is. in the way that, you know, like when, and I, I have to say, one of the things I thought of, I don't generally do New Year's resolutions. Happy New Year. Mm. Um, Happy New Year, everybody. (laughs) In the same way uh, as some people. But I started thinking about that I used to have a really strong meditation practice. Mm. And it's not as strong as it was then. Uh, It's different than it was then. And I thought, you know, I'd kind of like to get back to having a more regimented kind of like meditation practice. But one of the things I remember from having that it was actually during a time of my life that was sort of hectic mm. and my life is not hectic now. Like the world is hectic, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my life, just my life is not really hectic. But when it was, I remember I used to meditate uh, right before dinner. So like from four o'clock to five o'clock, I would go meditate and my kids knew it. They were here at home. They were like in high school at the time, college age, high school, and they would, um, they knew like, okay, you know, mom is meditating and I would go in the other room and meditate. And, you know, regardless of how hectic things were that, that hour, it was just peaceful. And I, all those things that I would have had on my mind, I just put them aside for that hour. So it reminds me of that, right? It's like, things are still going on. There's actually chaos going on right now as we're filming this and this is true. <laughs> right. And it's like, but for this hour, at least take a deep breath and, <laughs> yeah. and remember that there are things to be happy about in the world. Oh um, yes. Very much and, so. And in our individual lives, you know? Yes, I agree. In fact, um, I've been doing research. I, I've been telling listeners for the last few days about how I'm trying to put this talk together that I'm going to plan to give to college students, hopefully over and over and over again. And, in the process of doing that, I've been continuing to do research into stuff I've already looked into before and looking for new material to add into what I'm trying to put together and so forth. One of the things I, I stumbled upon just in the last few days was some research about the different ways that extroverts and introverts deal with situations leading to happiness or to depression, to the you know, high vibe, low vibe. And what was really interesting was I found a source that said extroverts are much, it's much easier for an extrovert through their brain, through the way they process stuff through the, through the brain to start with a thought, say, or an experience or an interaction with somebody and have it, you can, you, they can actually trace it through the brain and, and it ties in directly to their senses very quickly. Whereas somebody who has more of an introverted tendency, it tends to go through the rational faculties first. So it's a longer path that actually gets traversed 
by whatever the stimulus is to get to the senses. It goes, it goes through like, you know, the forebrain or through, it, there's a variety of different paths it can go through, but it doesn't go directly. And the, the hypothesis that they were putting along with it is that's why extroverts are able to tap into, you know, visualizing and making the visualization real much more quickly or, or tapping into um, being able to uh, raise their vibration quicker or, you know, something along that line, whereas the introvert has to go through the more slow process. And along with that research was the observation that the introvert is the one who is more easily overstimulated by events. So the introvert is the one who in our terms would want to go meditate more often. And I realized what they were basically saying is meditation is more of an introverted kind of function that everybody does because we all have both extrovert and introvert in us. Whereas, you know, doing like, I don't know, I'll pick an example, like, you know, going to an Amway rally and, and getting all excited. That's more of an extroverted function, you know? And, and I'm not even sure how that becomes practical, but I just think it's fascinating that we basically, science has basically identified that there are differences in the way neural pathways work for the extroverted side of us versus the introverted side of us. Well, when you were saying that, you know, it's, I don't really, um, I kind of consider myself to be an ambivert or, you know, mm-hmm. because, yeah. Because, well, most of us are. Well, yeah. I mean, I am. Um, I'm definitely not at either end of this of spectrum of you know, verts right. because verts. <laughs> I, I am perfectly happy um, being with myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some people that are way extrovert and are like coming out of their skin if they're not around people like come on let's go out let's go do let's go find something to do let's go find some people let's you know they's like like uh, I know someone that um always had a job even though they didn't need to have a job but it was because they couldn't stand to just be home and be by themselves they had to ha- mm. had to have a lot of people around them. Right, but right, I right. also know people that are introverted or at least consider themselves introverts that so will say oh I'm an introvert mm-hmm. and they often mention just feeling exhausted after just prolonged contact with other people, like a very long day where they're out in a crowd or out at a party or out with lots and lots of connection. Even though when they're in that space, they're like talkative and they're having fun and everything. But then yeah, afterwards, yeah. they feel wiped out. And when you said that, yeah. it made me think, is it because processing all those interactions actually kind of with an introvert take a longer route like to process and so it's more work <laughs> Maybe exactly it feels like more work right um my my stepson we joke that he is the extrovert of the introverts <laughs> okay because <laughs> hmm. he says he's an introvert but he's always the one that's the most extroverted right so we're like okay <laughs> so you're it. the extrovert of all the introverts <laughs> so it is it's really interesting to think about the the neural pathways and how they work and how we process yeah. everything and how things affect us uh, i was actually taking it into account as i was trying to design I'm, I'm for my talk i'm trying to design a number of different processes, not necessarily designed in many cases, I'll just be stealing outright from, you know, Abraham Hicks or whatever, but taking processes <laughs> and, and, you know, basically reshaping them in a way that I can present to my audience and have them try them out right then, right there, you know, just oh. while we're in the middle of the talk. That, that's part of the goal is to kind of immerse them in it right away. And that's what got me onto this whole introversion, extroversion thing, because I realized different people respond to different processes differently. And I wanted to know how and why. 
And one of the things that I picked up from that research I was telling you about is an extrovert is much more likely to be excited about you know, getting a crowd together and going to the amusement park, whereas the introvert is going to be much more excited about doing a crossword puzzle because you know, it's, a, it's a lower vibe activity. Another thing that came out of the research, it, apparently introverts are more dopamine sensitive than extroverts are. So it doesn't take as much for dopamine to affect an introvert and they can actually, this is probably too strong a word, but they can kind of overdose on dopamine, meaning that if they get too much of it, they can actually, a dope, uh, uh, an introvert can actually start to get into that state of being sensory overwhelmed, like we were talking about. Yeah. Um, where, whereas the extrovert is constantly looking for more, more dopamine. They can't get enough <laughs> of it, you know? So again, another interesting thing that shows how the neural pathways work. It is. It is interesting. Brain science is fantastic. I, it I is. love it because, you know, a lot of times when I'm working with uh, clients, I will explain to them a little bit about, I mean, I only know a little bit, right? I'm not a, I'm not a brain scientist, but I do like reading about it and explaining how we develop patterns and kind of like we've talked about before, if you if you drive to the same place every day, you get to where, you know, you can kind of, you're on autopilot, like hopefully mm -hmm. not too much on autopilot, but you know, it's like, you don't have to really, you don't have, you're not in the same space as if you're in a city that's unknown to you and you're paying right. really close attention to the map and where you are and all of that. This is like, Oh, I drive home. And some people will make the comment that, wow, like I don't even remember part of my drive home. Well, that right. just oh, yeah. stuff. Right. But it's those neural pathways, but the interesting thing is that if we have something going on that we don't want happening in our life, a habit, something, a pattern, that it can be, those neural connections can be unconnected. We mm. can disconnect them consciously by doing another thing. And, you know, yes. muscle memory and all these different things play into it. So sometimes it takes a little bit of work, but we can do it. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, if, if, in other words, if, if every time I hear a certain story or see a certain thing, I get emotional about it or it brings back a memory or something to me, those things start to be hardwired. And especially when we create a story about it and we say, oh, every time I hear X, Y, Z, I feel triggered. Right. We're, we're basically telling our subconscious at this point to make sure we get triggered when we see a certain thing or hear a certain thing. True. Yeah. If we decide I don't want this to happen anymore and we take actions and measures that will you know correct it we can correct it and it will not be wired together anymore and it won't fire together anymore and that we're free of that you know thing that feels like we don't have any control over it but we really do we can it just takes some work that, that yeah i love that you're saying that in fact i'm going to make a note to replay that part later on because you, you've cued my mind. Oh yeah, I need to incorporate that part into my talk. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I, I told a client this story one time. I can't remember what we were talking about, but I, I, and I don't know if I've ever told it on the podcast, but several years ago, I replaced my countertop with granite and it had been ceramic hmm. tile. So I had a granite countertop put in and the granite countertop stuck out about an eighth of an inch further than the tile used to. And the first couple of weeks, I kept smacking glasses on the edge of it, putting them in, in and out of the dishwasher. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my gosh, my muscle memory was so finely tuned that 
an eighth of an inch made a difference. That means that means I was coming right close to it before. But I makes you wonder why you didn't break more glasses before that. Right. Well, because I because my muscle memory was so finely tuned that I wasn't exactly. hitting it, and when it was sticking out just that tiny bit, I kept bumping on it. And so, what did I do? Well, you know, first few times it shocked me. I don't think I ever broke anything, but I was afraid it was going to break something, right? And the first few times, like, oh my gosh, like, and then, then what? Well, then I started being very careful about how I put the glasses in there. I went a little bit slower. I paid closer attention because I didn't want to break a glass. And then as time went on, you know, now I can empty the dishwasher and load the dishwasher just as fast as I ever did it. And I'm not hitting anything because I adjusted. So that's how we make those adjustments. You know, first we become aware of it and then we have to slow down and be a little more careful until we've built the new habit. How cool too. I mean, you didn't actually have to work out. Okay. I'm bringing my my arm down with a glass in my hand. I got to make sure that I we don't go through that level of detail, oh, right? Which is really yeah. great, you know. I mean, if we if we did if we had to do that, it would be a real pain, <laughs> a bit painstaking in order to make these changes. Yeah. What, what this demonstrates is the change isn't actually all that difficult to make. We're able to make kind of a gestalt change to it, like a right? see the whole thing and just make one little shift, and then it's done. Yep, it so was just cool. It was just being mindful to be a little careful, pay attention. Yeah. That's it. And that's, I think that's one of the main things about habit change is just pay attention. Just, yeah. And we can change any kind of habit we want. And, that's you know, good. have thought habits are what we're talking about when we're talking about neural connections and brain function. And most of the thoughts we have, the stories we tell, they're just habits. We just say that things over and over that are just habits. Well, speaking of brain functions, this gives me a little bit of a segue because we had an email that came in uh, about, I'd say, I think it's about a week back. I'm not sure exactly when it came in, but it came in from one of our regular listeners, Deborah, um, who, by the way, also sent me some feedback on my uh, playing around with the speech on Monday. So thank you for that, Deborah. Uh, but she sent this email a few days before that. This is in, I believe it was in response to one of the episodes I did on Friday with Linda, Linda Armstrong. Uh, but she had a dream that she wanted to ask us about and bring up with one of my co-hosts. I, I figured this would be well-suited to you, Cindy, because of your background. But um, let me read to you what she had to say, and then let's talk about this very interesting dream se- sequence that she oh, has. I love it. So she said, on New Year's Eve, I dreamt that I was with a group of friends. We were all leaning back against being supported by what I can best describe as an inner tube of white light. I was so excited and amazed by it and how it extended around the whole world. I could also see colors, which doesn't usually happen in my dreams. I'm with you on that. I I have trouble with colors a lot, too. We were urged to lean back, let go, and ourselves meld with it and do a sort of countdown to move into that light. And she said it just occurred to me it was almost like the countdown to the new year. However, I didn't make that transition, but my friends did. And they were no longer physically there, and I was devastated to have been left behind. I felt as if I would have to rebuild and start my whole process of trust and faith all over again, and I didn't know if I could do it. So that was the dream. And she says, if possible, would I would be really interested to hear any inter- interpretations. It's not a biggie if not, but I'm, I'm just meant to ask my inner knowing what it means and go with that, which I am also doing. But she doesn't know what 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 to do with it. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, 
that's a really interesting dream. And I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the things I studied, uh, I won't call it dream interpretation, maybe more like dream analysis, but for a long time. And then when I went to coaching school, we had a little segment on coaching around dreams and I got oh, so did. excited. I, I was so excited when that segment came up in the class and that my classmates were all couldn't stop laughing because I had this reaction. Like when the instructor was like, okay, and at the next module, we're going to talk about coaching people around dreams. And I was like, yes, I was so excited. <laughs> I love it. Because I had written in a, what was interesting is I had written in a journal maybe 10 years before. Uh, I had kept a dream journal for seven years every day. And when I first started keeping it, I didn't recall my dreams. I was, I just usually didn't remember my dreams. I know that's really common for people to say, Oh, I, you know, I don't, I don't dream or I don't remember my dreams. So I would, but I would still get out my journal in the morning and I would still write in it. And I would write, you know, how well I slept that I didn't remember a dream or that I remembered a little fragment of the dream. And I think what ended up happening it's just I trained. Here we go again with brain science and with training right. our brain and creating a habit. I trained my brain to realize, well, you know, I, I guess I'm supposed to be remembering these things. Because about six months in, I was remembering so many dreams every morning in vivid detail that I finally would just have to pick one or two to write down because it would take me hours if I was going to write them all. I just really vivid dreams. So when I got... I had written in my journal that I was really enjoying and getting really good at um, understanding dreams and helping other people understand dreams. And that I wish there was some kind of business that I could go into where I got to do that. And about two weeks before we had the module in coaching school, I found that old journal. And so I got really excited when it came up because I didn't know that was going to be a topic. Sure. So here's, here is the best way that I know how to analyze a dream. And that is not to run to the Googles or to go buy a book on dream symbols um, to look up, you know, what does it mean that I dreamed about a certain thing? The reason is because different things mean different things to me than they do to you. You know, I always tell people, look, if, if someone dear to me drowned, you know, if my mom drowned and your mom was an Olympic swimmer, then a swimming pool is going to mean something really different in a dream to me than to you, right? Or if I if I have a terrible fear of fire and, you know, and you have some scientific interest in fire, then fire may mean a different thing. So I think it's important to go through your dream. One of the ways that we do this is we can go through the dream and pull out the nouns. Hmm. Okay. So they're, just things and also pull out the emotions like circle them like write your dream down pull out the nouns so it may be white light was there um an inner tube you know you're leaning into something you were there with friends that's another thing and you go through and you ask or answer the question as if some alien was you know that had no idea what anything was or what anything meant was asking you right so a lot of people have a dream about going back to school. <laughs> That's a really Yes, common. I've had that one. Mm. Right. A lot of people have a car in their dream. Like, I think my husband dreams about driving a car, like, 
like half half of his dreams have something to do with driving a car. <laughs> so so we would ask somebody, well, what is a car? And you know, one person might say, well, a, a car is something that gets you from place to place. Another person might say, oh, a car's a total hassle. Nobody needs a car, right? Oh, it's just a it's a money trap. It's a it's a black hole for money because they have a car they ha- keep having to fix, right? Or or oh, cars are dangerous, right? I mean, people are going to have all different kinds of answers. So that's it why could be a dream car, like somebody who collects Mustangs, that's going to have an entirely different feeling about a car. Right, right. So, so it's important that you kind of ask yourself, what does that thing mean to you? You know, um, and that there was an emotion there that your your friends made some kind of transition melding with this light, but you didn't and you felt disappointed. Uh, the other thing you can ask yourself is if the feeling that you had and the situation that you had, if it reminds you of anything, if it reminds you of some situation that you're having in your waking life, you know, is there some situation where, you know, where you felt like you missed out or that your friends you know, we're doing something and, and you didn't get to do it. Um, disappointed. Uh, there was the part where you said you felt disappointed that you were going to have to like start your journey all over again. Right. right. And I know that sometimes it helps to remember that whenever we're in that place where we feel like we've come full circle and we're back where we started, that we're not really back where we started we're a level higher. So it's a spiral and not just a Good circle, point. right? Because yeah. we've had all these experiences in the meantime that have brought us to a level where we know more and we have more wisdom because we know more and we have experienced more. So even if we feel like we're back, you know, back to square one, it's really, we're always leveling up, so to speak, even though we come around to that same thing. So I think it's a really interesting dream. And especially that it you is. have New Year's. That's like, yeah, like, like a new thing. And, you know, we've all been talking about the, the grand conjunction or the great conjunction between Saturn and Jupiter that happened, uh, right there at the 21st of December. So right towards the end of the year, bringing us into, you know, that age of Aquarius that we've been singing about since the seventies or sixties. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that. There, there's definitely, that's a dream I would definitely dissect, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would pull it apart. I would really look at it. And I would answer certain questions, like, as if whoever was asking the questions was completely clueless. Like, well, I was with a group of friends. Well, what's that? Right. What's a group? What are friends? You know, spell all those nouns. Yes, yeah, spell it out. And then you can actually go through your dream again. Using the definitions instead of the words. Ah, yes. So okay. instead of, um, you know, I was with a group of friends. Well, what are friends? Oh, well, friends are people that love you that will always be there for you. So I was with a group of people that love me and will always be there for me. You know, read back the dream using your definitions. Uh, there's a, a woman named Gail Delaney that wrote several books on dreams And I find that her dream interpretation, you know, method, which is what I'm talking about here, is really one of the best. I have, I have unlocked some really significant dreams for myself and for clients, um, using those methods. So 
I love that. I mean, seriously. I Well, first of all, when you started to say everybody has their own meanings that they attach to symbols, I was saying, yes, 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 yes. I've been thinking that for so long. And I get frustrated whenever I read or hear somebody saying, well, go look it up online. That's just looking at somebody else's interpretation. What's your interpretation? So yeah, when I heard get, that part, I really like that. If you get good at this, like, and uh, you know, anybody can get good at it. I just mean, just do it. Just Start right, right. keeping track of your dreams and start spending a little time. Um, you can actually build your own, you know, dream dictionary, right? You get your own set of symbols that your higher self, wiser self, inner self, whatever you want to call it, your holy guardian angel, whoever is, you know, your dream maker, right? Whoever's wherever those dreams are coming from um, can communicate to your conscious self through those symbols, because then it's like, oh, I know what, I know what that is. Uh, yeah. some, some really common ones that are sort of, um, common to most people. Like I said, cars, um, we often, cars are a vehicle that moves us and it's kind of like our journey through life sometimes, right? Or houses, yeah. like just things that are big symbols that are often the same for, for a lot of people. Uh, they're not always the same, but, but sometimes they are. So, Things like that. Uh, that back to school dream. Whenever I have that dream, um, I used to have that dream all the time. <laughs> and I would be frustrated by it. It's like, what does it mean? But finally, I realized that it always happens for me when I'm literally in some way going back to school. Well, I guess it's yeah. not literally. It's metaphorically, right? Going back to school figuratively, like something's going on. And I'm going to be learning something. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in some way, maybe conscious, like, oh, I'm going to take this class. But most of the time, it's not. It's that something's going on in my life that's an opportunity for me to learn something new. And so I get excited because I'm a lifelong learner. I get excited now when I have one of those back to school dreams. It's like, but it might mean something different for someone else, right? Because I, 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 like I love going to school. <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, I like that explanation because usually my back to school dreams are some sort of dread attached to it. So if I can turn the dream around to make it like that, it'll feel a whole lot better. <laughs> well, so many, so many people have those dreams like they, and me too. It's like they're going back to school. They're all of a sudden at school. I'm at school. What am I doing here at school? I don't know my locker right, combination. Right. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know what class I'm supposed to go to. Wait, didn't I graduate already? Like all these questions in my head. What the hell am I doing here? Like it never right. made any sense. And I had a client one time that told me that she had a back to school type dream and she was going from classroom to classroom and that on each door, there was a list of the students and that she had read the list on each door and her name wasn't anywhere. Oh yeah. And that there was, you know, a proctor or somebody in the hallway that she said, can you help me? Like I'm, my my name isn't on any of these doors. And the person said to her, well, that's because you've already learned these lessons and you don't need to be here. Ooh, cool dream. <laughs> right? Whoa. And, and she actually told me the dream because something was happening in her life that was a pattern that had happened. And it's kind of like I talked about earlier, right? That spiral, like something had happened. And she's like, why does this keep happening to me? Why does this keep happening? I've already gone through this. And I said, well, you know, sometimes we have these back to school dreams and we really don't need to be there. Like, 
maybe you just need to recognize that you've already done this and that you already have the wisdom that you could learn here and that you've graduated. And like she actually decided to give herself a graduation ceremony. It, oh, cool. It was, yeah, it was. That's what we devised in the coaching session is that she was going to celebrate that she had graduated. And what was cool was that some really cool stuff happened for her, like literally that weekend um, after she had planned this, you know, celebration for herself. And that's why I learned about that particular dream. And yeah. so, <laughs> that's so really I, something. yeah, I think we can decide that, right? Sometimes when we've learned a lesson and yet we've got a pattern going in our life from stories we tell, from the way we do, and we finally recognize like I don't want to do this again. That's actually a really good place to be because we can make that decision. Yeah, I don't yeah, need to do true. this again. I have learned this lesson. I've been through this already. I'm going to make a different choice. I also loved how you were talking about um, the more that you engage in your own dream interpretation, you start picking up bits and pieces. It reminded me very much of what we used to do when we were dissecting the Neville Goddard books. We would put together yes. the, the, the Neville decoder ring, as we called it, piecing right. together. This is what uh, this word meant to Neville. And this is what that word meant to Neville and so forth. We basically be, you, you're putting together your, your Cindy decoder ring is what you're doing, or I'm putting yeah. together my Walt decoder ring. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. And, you know, you can actually use other systems, you know, if you want to, to build languages for your dream life. Like, uh, like I'm a card reader. So the, the Lenormand deck is probably my favorite deck. It's not a tarot deck. It's a different kind of Oracle deck um, that's been around for a century, but um, the cards have different things that mean a certain thing. So Right. So a bear, the card that has a bear on it has to do with power and the card with the key has to do with the solution to something. And, you know, they're very, very, you know, common kind of symbols. But I realize that sometimes I'll dream about those symbols. And so it's part of my language now. It's like I know what that means Mm -hmm. in the same way, you know, a tree has to do with health or a family tree, a legacy, longevity, something that's going to be around for a long time, growth, right? Real obvious meanings. Uh, But so sometimes when those things are in a dream, I read them that way. It's like, oh, I know what that means. (laughs) So you can actually cultivate a dream language if you want to. Yeah, it's not something I've ever really thought about doing in any serious way this is the first time i've ever heard anything that made me think well i might even consider it i'm not ready to do it just yet but i can at least conceive of i can see how that would be interesting well you know some cultures some cultures actually believe that our dream life is the real world and that our yes right so uh i always found that to be interesting i find that to be too confusing i just can't handle that one so (laughs) i think I remember Neville Goddard talking about lucid dreaming. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And I was listening to Joe Dispenza the other day, also talking about lucid dreaming. And I know we've talked about that before. I've only had that experience a handful of times and not for a very long time. And I had to really work to get there. Mm. Um, I really had to focus and concentrate and make the intention every night that I was going to have a lucid dream and, you know, just all, and it really was sort of a lot of work. (laughs) So I didn't keep it up, but, um, but it is interesting that when you have a lucid dream, everything, the only way I can explain it is to say everything feels more real than the real world. 
Like yeah. ev- the colors are brighter, uh, tastes, smells, anything that would be in your dream. It's much, much more high sensation, I guess is the way to say it. It's, it's more high sensation than just regular life. And so if you're doing it a lot, it kind of gets, to, you know, it can be kind of, uh, I don't know, it kind of threw me off balance a couple of times because I thought, wow, you know, when you wake up in the morning and the dream you just had is way more real than like. <laughs> the word that comes to my mind when you're describing that, that sounds like the word trippy. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> yeah. I think that it really does. Applicable. Yeah. Yeah. But when I, when I would read about some other like Aboriginal cultures that believe that that's the real world. And this is just right. I thought, well, I can understand it. I can understand how someone would feel that way when the dream world feels so much more real. Yeah. It's really interesting. The first time I had a lucid dream in the dream, I was talking to my son and we were standing in our kitchen and that granite countertop I talked about. My kitchen has black and white floors and black granite countertops and white cupboards in real life. Okay. Okay, so it's uh my my house is almost a hundred years old, so I kind of went with a period everything. And uh, in my dream, I'm standing in the kitchen and I'm talking to my son, and I look over, and you know this is a dream that felt very very real. Yeah. I look over, and I realize, and I, the granite countertops were white, not black. <laughs> and I said to myself, oh, "Wait a minute, this is a dream." <laughs> I'm in a dream. Like I recognized it. And that's when I became lucid because I recognized, Oh wow. Right. I'm in a dream. And I said to my son, Hey Yoni, watch this. And I jumped and I jumped high enough to like put my hands on the ceiling. <laughs> ah! And you know, I'm five feet tall. So, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Oh my. I was like, I had this realization. It's like, I'm in a dream. I can do anything I want. I can fly. I can touch the ceiling, right? I can do all these things. So in a, in a lucid dream, one of the things they say for you to do, if you want to lucid dream is to start doing reality checks in your real life. So one Mm. of the most, one of the most common ones is to just look at a clock and then look at it again. So if I'm in my kitchen and I look at my clock and it says one o'clock and I look again, it's either going to still say one o'clock or it's going to say one o one, right? I mean, that's what happens in in real life. In real <laughs> in real life, um, in a dream, it will not happen. In a dream, you look at the clock and it says one o'clock. If you look again, it's going to say four fifteen or something, right? It's it's going to never have the same time twice. And so, when you do that in a dream, if you do it all the time in waking life, chances are you're going to also start doing it in a dream. And when you do it in a dream and the clock changes, that's your clue to say oh wait this is a dream and Mm. if you can stay in the dream state but be lucid then you can do whatever you want now people that are really good at lucid dreaming uh, solve all kinds of problems in their dream life wow because they're lucid yeah they can and they have superpowers so they can figure out how to how to help things in their regular life so it's a it's a good uh it's a really cool skill to have maybe i should decide to uh, <laughs> develop it again. You're making it very enticing, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about lucid dreaming before. Yeah. I can't say I ever had this level of interest before. I'm, I, I can't say I'm ready to like 
dive into it, so to speak, but I'm now more open to it just because that does sound like it has some possibilities I hadn't really considered before. So I'll have to give that well, some thought. If you think about it too, is that people often complain that they are short on time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also that there are certain things they want to do that they can't do either because they don't have enough time. They don't have enough money. They aren't geographically located to do whatever it is. So this solves all those problems. It does. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, there's something else I wanted to bring up to you. I know, Deborah, I hope the, this is a very extensive answer that we gave to your question <laughs> about your dream. Hopefully we gave you enough to work with there. I really hope that was helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think that Deborah can dive into that dream and figure it out and it will mean yeah. so much more than if we just go off on some tangent about what we think the inner tube of white light means. Right. I mean, I think right. it's fantastic. Like this week I have heard three different dreams this week and this is one of them. This was the third one. Three okay. different dreams that I thought, gosh, I wish I would have had that dream. <laughs> that <was> awesome. <laughs> that does sound like a cool dream, I have to admit. Yeah. I mean, I understand she didn't like the part where her friends were able to do right. the Right, I, I get the disappointment but, part, too. Yeah. But, yeah, but still a really cool dream to have. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. So, anyway, um, I wanted to go on to another topic where, I, again, this is something that was part of my uh, my research that I'm doing for putting my talk together. Um, I'm a fan of, among other people, I'm a fan of many uh, thought leaders and teachers and so forth. Um, one of them is Sean Aker, who is the positive psychology guy. He wrote the book, The Happiness Advantage. He gave a really good TED Talk. If you ever uh, want to go listen to that TED Talk, it's really funny, really good. But um, he also wrote some subsequent books to The Happiness Advantage, and I'm reading one of them right now. He starts off the book talking about uh, how success is maximized. And through his research, this is his own research. A lot of the time he's reporting other people's research, but this is through research he himself has done. Um, he found that people who succeed the most are not usually the ones who have the most skills or who are the most advanced in their field or whatever. The ones who succeed the most are the ones who fit in best to the culture that they are a part of. And that, in fact, people who are able to work best in that culture, that group, whatever it might be, can have extraordinarily rewarding and successful lives beyond what, you know, somebody with superpowers, to use the term we were using before, um, has. Somebody who has, uh, the example that he gave the, in the part of the book that I was just reading before we did the show was somebody who is a stock trader. And he had, he had this conversation with a stock trader who had heard him give the talk and the stock trader said, well, why would I want to do that? I, I make millions. I, I can beat everybody out in the market. I, I have like, I'm like one of the premier players out there. Why would I want to share this skill with anybody else? And Sean obviously didn't get very far with the guy because he had a very definite mindset about it. But more than that, he realized the way the guy was framing it was not the correct way to frame the situation. The situation is, what moves the population forward? He was looking, what moves me forward? But the better way to look at it is what moves the population forward? It kind of fits in with what Sean talked about in his TED Talk. He, he One of his uh, ha-ha moments was where he put up a picture of a graph on the screen at the TED Talk, and he says, I've been told that one of the things you should not do uh, when you start off your talk is to put up a graph. So I'm going to put up a graph on the screen. 
<laughs> and it's a graph. It's this really nice curve of all these little dots, all tightly fitting on this really beautiful curve. And he says, what's really cool about this graph is that it's all fake data. <laughs> <laughs> and above that curve, there's one dot that's like separated from all the rest of them, right? Way above the curve. And here's the curve with all that beautiful row of dots. There's that one dot up there. He says, there is that one dot up there, but you know what's cool about that dot? I can delete that dot because it's messing up my data. Which <laughs> <laughs> is true. That's what statisticians are able to do. Right? They're able to use right. statistics to eliminate that. He says, but that's not why I get so excited about this graph, even though it's all fake data. Why I get excited about that graph is I get excited about that dot because everybody else thinks about eliminating that dot. I think about what would happen if I could pull the curve up to that dot. Mm. And right. so I'm reading the second part, you know, this, this follow-up book where he's talking about the power of the group being able to work together, not necessarily even as a group, just by having just certain connectivity with each other, kind mm -hmm. of similar to the way, you know, rhesus monkeys across opposite ends of the earth can, can right. communicate with each other. But, but that cooperative element playing a role in helping each of the members of the group become more successful. So I just wanted to bring that up for a topic and, See what you think about it. Have you given thought to it? I got I got some ahas out of you, so I thought maybe you might have yeah. thought about this before. Well, it reminds me of the idea that uh, that I've heard. I don't know, it might have been Sean Akers, but I've heard people talk about that the straight A students are usually the ones that end up going to work for the C students. Um, yes, <laughs> and, right. So it's kind of like that idea that that we have in our collective you know brain that we have to do everything perfectly and excellent and strive to be the very very best why so that because that's going to be the thing that you know gives us success and i am all for like i i tell clients this all the time is that i really believe that success lies in your willingness for two things one is your willingness to take imperfect action and that doesn't mean shoddy workmanship. It just means that you don't create, you don't create something and spend an extra three years creating it, trying to make it perfect, right? If it's, if it's good, then release it. You can tweak it later. You can make it better, but like, let's just, right? And so imperfect action and then your willingness to have a difficult conversation. Those two things will bring you more success than anything else that I know. And so when you say that about, you know, it's, it's not about having a superpower that people that people that are, you know, uh, have less than superpowers can be the most successful. It, I think it's in, it's a uh, emotional intelligence, right? It's being able to connect to other people and it's being able to recognize that everything you do affects the collective, like you just yes. said, you know, this isn't about just me, me, me. It's about, it's about a win-win. Right. I mean, that to me, um, being a relationship coach, I know a lot of times people have this idea that we always have to be willing to compromise to make a good relationship. But I think there's a higher level of relating than compromise. And I think it's when I we both get what we want. We yes. both get what we want. And we both feel like it's a win. That's a win-win situation. If one person doesn't really feel like it's a win, then it's not a win for anybody. So I think that is part of what you're talking about. Not all of it, though, definitely. Um, mm -hmm. But that gets me excited because I there's a lot of things in the world that I'd like to see different. 
<laughs> well, and it I also think- gives me some validation, to be honest, because one of the things I've, I've long hoped for for this show that you and others help do help me to do each week is that it would help the swath of listeners who have tuned into it, which I love, by the way, I, I love thinking about that group of listeners because right. it keeps growing on its own. It's gotten quite, quite a bit larger than I thought it would. <laughs> and it keeps growing on uh, to the point where now I, I want to grow really, really big. I get excited about it in that way. But I also think to myself, is it true that, what we're doing here on the show, what we talk about really is helping all that audience of listeners. And I know that it does. I mean, I get the feedback. We all have gotten the email feedback and so forth from people talking about how much they've enjoyed it and how much it's really helped them and keep their vibrations up and so forth, which is wonderful. But what this segment from Sean's uh, follow-up book taught me is that we are also helping everybody in the group in ways that go beyond just following what we're talking about here on the show. We are contributing energetically to each other. Right. And I've, I've hoped that was true. I didn't know how to measure that. I didn't know how to detect it. But this is like the first clue that I've gotten that, yes, it really is happening that way. There is that, that sort of subconscious energetic flow that is going on that is contributing to the success of everybody who's listening to the show. And I love that concept. I love that a lot. Well, you, you hear concepts like this a lot in when you listen to people that are working for any kind of social justice, right? It's like, Mm -hmm, we're not free until we're all free. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, that's the thing that I think about, especially in with, for this community, like the law of attraction community, people that consider themselves uh, conscious creators or magical communities is that we say that we're all one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You say it all the time, right? That we're all one. Well, then, then that's, if that's really what we think, then we have to recognize that everything we do affects everything else, affects everyone else. We're all connected. And so um, we can actually look at that in a way that works to everyone's advantage. Like it's an exciting thing to recognize Mm -hmm. that. It is. It's very, it's exciting and I mean, the way I always phrase it is I include both sides of the dichotomy. We are all one and we are all individuals. I, I put them both in the same sentence mm-hmm. because to me, both are exciting. It would be, it would be kind of scary and, and uncomfortable for me if, if it was just we are all one without being individuals, if the individuality was suppressed, that wouldn't be really uncomfortable. And similarly, I've, and this is where I've been before, if it was all about individuality and there was no connectedness, I already know for a fact that that's uncomfortable because I lived there for about 20 years. So I know right. what that one's like. <laughs> well, so there's a really interesting TED Talk um, by uh, Jill. I think her name is Jill Bolte Taylor. Okay. could have that mixed around. But I think it's called A Stroke of Genius. And Oh, yes. Yes, I know what that is. Yeah? Yes. So so she was a brain scientist right. that had a stroke. Mm-hmm. And was I think I if I recall correctly, like on a, a, a stationary bicycle or treadmill, like working out. And all of a sudden she started having a stroke and she started she's a brain scientist. She she knew what was happening, which is like right. mind blowing, right? Because most of us would be like, oh no, what's happening? But she was like, Oh my gosh, I'm having a stroke. 
You, my, and, my sister-in-law told me the story, by the way. I got to interrupt for one second. She told me the story, and, and she used the same word that you just did, mind-blowing. And she said, by the way, it was literally her mind that was yeah. blowing. Just wanted to say that. <laughs> True. I didn't even realize I used that word. But I remember her saying that, like, she tried to call someone and tell them what was happening, and mm-hmm. that the words coming out were like, well, blah, blah, blah. you know, like, you couldn't understand yeah, right. the words that were coming out. And what was really, really interesting about her experience was that she had a a moment or longer than a moment of recognizing that we're all one and that we're all connected and that not just we're all connected as humans, but everything is connected, right? Mm -hmm. Everything, every single thing, inanimate things that we see as inanimate, um, all connected. And that is the right brain. The right brain doesn't see separation like the left brain does. The ego is always separate. It's me, me, me. And it wants certain things, but that transcends the ego. And I think if by remembering right, that what happened was that it literally was that the stroke was in the left brain. So she was only using her right brain at that moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to get the story wrong. It's totally worth, uh, worth listening to it. It's, you know, 15 minutes or 18 minutes. I think Ted talks at one time were 18 minutes. I think now they're all over the range, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but I think she also has a book, but very, very interesting to think about that experience. And it changed her life. Uh, not just, you know, physically because she had a stroke, but, emotionally and mentally her viewpoints were very different afterwards because of what right she yeah it was a big deal it made a big impact on her life and it made a big impact on her career because like you said she was a brain scientist she was a neuroscientist and so she already knew how this stuff worked but now she was getting the opportunity to study it from inside and wow. that's part of the yeah. way she presented it in her book she did write a book by the way that's how i knew about it because you mm-hmm. was telling me about the book and, and that's re- literally what the book was. This is her diary, so to speak, of what it's like to watch a stroke and be a part of a stroke from inside the head of the person who's experiencing it. And what she gained out of it, the, the information that she gained, in many ways, moved the field of neuroscience and brain science way ahead of where it was just because of the insights that she got. And it really, th- once she actually survived and you know went through all the therapy and, and got right. past the stroke aspect, it, it, it sent her career into overdrives because now all of a sudden she was an in-demand speaker presenting this information to brain scientists all over the world. Like, you know, it was it was like this major shift. Yeah, bigger than any lab experiment you could ever have. Right? Because, yeah, because exactly. Because she experienced it with the wealth of knowledge she already had about it. So it was just exactly. amazing. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a fascinating thing, too, that um, any any subject we come up with, you, you mentioned the ego. I wanted to kind of that, tie that topic in for a second here, because the way you express it is the way it's often expressed, that the ego is, is in some way kind of like separate from that, that wholeness that we're talking about. And I I keep going back to the idea, I'm not so convinced that it's separate. I think it's all part of the same deal. We te- We treat it as separate in the way we talk about it, but... We also tend to treat it as if it were a negative a lot of the time. And it's really not. It has a lot of positive associated with it. Yeah, too. I don't. I think we need our ego just like we need every other we part do. of us. But the ego is the thing that allows us to see ourselves as individual, which yes. is also 
important. Um, I, I don't usually go down that road of kill the ego. You know, um, I think that recognizing it is enough. Yeah. Right. Same with like patterns that we want to change. It's like most of the time when we recognize that it's a pattern that starts to break the pattern as soon as we recognize it. So I think we need that individuality, but we also need to recognize that we are part of a whole, right? We are connected. Where I was going to go with it is very much along the line of what you just said. Uh, I was going to look at it this way, that the ego actually is a great benefit. It's It's a wonderful thing to have because among other things, ego gives us our perspective without perspective or I'm sorry, without the ego, our perspective would be dramatically different from what we experience. It gives us the ability to fixate on a perspective. I get the impression that when you're in pure source, there's not a whole lot of fixating going on because you're so fluid. (laughs) Everything in source, everything I've ever heard in sources, it's all fluid energy, right? But when you're in a human form, you have one point of view that doesn't move around a lot. You know, it tends to stay in that one place. And we, we can shift it both through physical movement and through literally just changing the way we're thinking about stuff. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it remains relatively focused. Well, that's a great benefit. I mean, what is it that, uh, uh, you know, Esther Hicks and Abraham Hicks tells us or, or David in the stream of David or whatever, all these channelers are telling us that we are here in this human experience dealing with all the contrast and so forth, because this is where we do our greatest growth. Well, what's a key element to that growth? It's that fixed point of view. That viewpoint is what leads us to go into the contrast. It's what leads us to you know, dip our toe into that stuff that we don't like so much so we can identify what it is we do like so much and so on. All, you know, all that stuff, that's where it comes from. It comes from that perspective. So the ego actually plays an essential role, a really, really important role that I think we should celebrate. And I think what happens is when we celebrate that, that's when we really begin to appreciate our connectedness to others. It, that's when it kind of bubbles up to the surface. Up until that point, I mean, what, what people can do, they can get into the, uh, I guess we call it the narcissistic viewpoint. Like, oh, I, I'm so beautiful and everybody's got to love me. I need all this love from everybody else and so forth, which really is not self-love at all. But <laughs> when we get into a pure, what, what I would call a pure ego state, a state of pure self-love, pure self-acceptance in, in every way, in that state, the optimum stance that we have is the one that enables us to see and experience and feel and detect that connection that we have to others in a way that we really can't experience until we've built that ego into a strong ego. That's That's my view on it. That's really interesting because once we have that connection, the ego is, you know, kind of not even relevant. Well, it's done its job, hasn't it? Yeah. It fades away. It's almost like the chrysalis, right? It's not necessary. Yeah. It's not it's needed not anymore. Focal point, right. Yeah. Because we start to connect and we start to see things from other people's perspective. So that's interesting. I'm going to have to yeah. comment this. <laughs> I, I, I just, yeah. I mean, one of the things we often talk about here on the show is different ways to you know, see silver linings and, and, and get different perspectives on, especially on stuff we don't like. And, for the longest time, I, I've just felt this like internal rebellion whenever I hear how people discuss the ego. I'm thinking, no, this, this ego is a lot more important than we're giving it credit for. So this is I, where I've gotten with it. I agree with you on that. I, I like uh, whenever someone talks about ego in a way that's like we need to just get rid of it, just kill it off. I'm always like, no, I don't think so. Right. Yeah, it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah. 
That's so, funny. Yeah. Well, good. This is, you're helping me a lot with my talk. So thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Very good. One, one thing I, I would be remiss in, in doing is, is failing to take a moment to remind people to use the Elevate Today app to send in questions because that's how we got uh, Deborah's, uh, it wasn't so much, well, it was a question, but it was also a request to help her with her dream analysis. Um, but it can be on anything. And we've said this many, many times before. We love receiving these messages. So use the Elevate Today app to send in your message. Maybe you have a question, maybe you have a relationship question for Cindy. I mean, this is like the queen of relationship counseling right here. So if you want to have love a, a relationship yeah. question answered, I mean, Send this is the person and, to ask. And, you know, another thing is if you want to remain anonymous and ask a question, just say so. Yeah. Right. Some people, um, I've coached people live on air before and they didn't want to say who, their name. So they just used another name or they just, you know, just say, I prefer you don't use my name. I mean, if, if you don't mind if we use it, then awesome. But if you have some kind of, a relational situation where you want you want some help and you want some brainstorming or you want some coaching around it or some advice, but you don't want to mention your name, that's fine too. Yeah, I mean, the form has three fields. There's name, email, and the, the, the message area. And the name field has no check to see what you put into it. So if you put in Joe Blow, it'll say, okay, I'm fine with that. You know? <laughs> Just put, put in anonymous. Put in, don't tell, don't say my name. Put whatever you want in there. It doesn't matter. But, <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> The app is not going to say, I'm sorry, that is not a valid contribution. You have to give us your actual <laughs> name. No, it doesn't do that. <laughs> yeah, but we love it. We love it when you send in questions, comments, all of that. Please do. Oh, yes. It's so much fun. It gives us a lot of good stuff to talk about, too. Look at the material we got out of Deborah's email. I mean, <laughs> that was cool. That was really good. Um, also, I want to remind people that if you want to reach out to any of my co-hosts directly, like if you want to talk to Cindy about uh, the services that she offers as a coach and, and a card reader and so forth, um, that's also available in the, in the form. You can use that basically the same form for the same purpose. And she actually gets a copy of the email that goes out. So just send it to her and, and, you know, she'll get in touch with you and make the contact, but uh, take advantage either way. And, oh, also I I should mention, Cindy also has a little gift that she gave us in the LOA Today app. It was her, um, well, I forget what the title is. Give me the title again. (laughs) It's a lovely magician's guide to soulmate success. That's it. Yes. And it's a good one too. It's really good. So take advantage of that too. Yeah. A lot of good stuff in there. So this has been fun. I've really enjoyed this and, and it served the purpose that I had originally in mind. I think probably you did too, because like we said at the top of the hour before the show, we were talking about all this crazy stuff going out on out in the world. And this was the place to come to kind of shelter and get away from all the chaos and crisis and all that and get into a happy place. And once again, it worked. It worked. It worked. I yeah. loved it. <laughs> it worked for me anyway. I'm feeling much better. <laughs> oh, me too. It definitely worked. I suspect it's working for our listeners as well. Um, so thank you very much. And, and by the way, I did see uh, Nasha and Janine saying hello in the chat, but they, they were pretty quiet after that. So I think they were engaged in what we were talking about. But I just wanted to acknowledge you guys. Oh, thank you. The, hello uh, the mainstream. to you. So thank you very much. And uh, thank you also to our, our regular listeners as well. Without you, we wouldn't have a podcast. And we will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Bye, everyone.